So for the past five weeks, we've spent the season of Lent studying the last week of Jesus' life. Like I've said, the gospel writers spent a disproportionate amount of time really talking about eight days, those eight days of Holy Week starting on Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And today is the day we begin Holy Week. And we decided to spend the entire season of Lent focusing just on these days. And if you look around the room, the pieces of art that we have throughout the room are serving as icons for us to to give us um, images to use in our prayer life as we reflect on those eight days of Jesus' life. We have covered Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And now we come to Friday. Perhaps the darkest day in the history of our world, the day that the Son of God was executed by crucifixion. Through our sermon series on Jesus' last week, we've really sought to understand how the events of Sunday through Thursday led to the awful injustice on Friday. What was it about those days in Jerusalem that that led the, the powerful folks in Jerusalem to want to arrest Jesus and have him killed. Through studying the book of Mark, we've, we've really seen that Jesus himself made very deliberate choices that put him in direct confrontation with the political and religious authorities. He chose to confront the powers during the week of Passover, a volatile time in Jerusalem. On Sunday, he entered the city in a very public and dramatic way, riding in on a colt, declaring the coming of a new king. On Monday, he went into the temple and staged a direct action campaign, turning over the tables and disrupting the economic activities, ultimately condemning the temple as a den of robbers. On Thursday, he went out and spent the day in the temple courts, publicly arguing with the religious authorities and experts. He called them out for oppressing the poor, and then he prophesied the destruction of the temple. By Wednesday, the Jewish collaborators, those leaders in Jerusalem who had aligned themselves with the Roman Empire, they decided that Jesus had to go. They feared the crowds, and so they figured out a way to take him captive in secret. They found a traitor. Judas, who sold Jesus out for some cash. Jesus was now a marked man. It was only a matter of time before Jesus would be apprehended. On Thursday, Jesus and his disciples and some other followers entered back into the city from Bethany, and they shared a secret Passover meal in a home in Jerusalem. After that meal, they got up and left and went to the Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. The disciples failed to keep watch, and the authorities found Jesus and his friends in the garden. He was arrested, and the wheels of injustice kicked into motion. That night, on Thursday night, he was charged, tried, and sentenced, all in one night, by some Jewish collaborators in the middle of the night. It all happened so fast, and there was nothing to be done to stop it. This brings us to Friday, the day that is often called Good Friday. I've never quite understood that name because it was not a good day, but it was a day full of suffering, evil, and violence. 
When I traveled to Jerusalem a few years ago, I walked a path in the old city of Jerusalem that they call the Via Dolorosa, which means the way of sorrows. It is believed to be the path that Jesus walked on his way to his crucifixion on the cross. Friday is often called the Passion of the Christ, and the word passion means suffering. Friday was not a good day. It was a day of suffering, injustice, and violence, and sorrow. The way Jesus was executed was by crucifixion. Now, if you read, um, if you were listening as I read Mark's account of the crucifixion, you may have noticed that when Mark talks about the crucifixion, he doesn't really give any details about how it happened. He simply says, they crucified him. Now, he doesn't need to give any details because his readers would have known what a crucifixion entailed. People in the first century knew about crucifixions because they happened. And they often happen always really in public because they were meant to be done in public to strike fear in the hearts of the people. People knew about crucifixions and they were terrified by crucifixions. This type of capital punishment was, was really reserved for people that were rebels, insurrectionists, people who had risen up against the Roman Empire. You may recall that Jesus was crucified between two men. In Mark, in our translation, it read bandits, but these were rebels. These were men who rose up against the Roman government. And crucifixions were meant to publicly say, if you rise up against the government, this is what will happen to you. The Jewish people were living under the control of the Roman Empire. And, and honestly, the Jewish people had not been free for many, many generations. They lived under the rule of oppressive empires who often treated them very poorly. Every year, the Jewish people remember the story of the Exodus. And that was a time in their history when they were set free from an oppressive empire in Egypt and delivered to freedom. Now these stories of liberation, imagine rehearsing that story every single year. There were folks every generation that were inspired and challenged to stand up and try to take back their land from the powerful empires that dominated their people. And the story of Exodus kind of gave them boldness and courage to do this. There were many rebel movements that, that rose up over the years with Jewish people trying to take back their land from those who had taken control. Have you ever seen the movie Black Panther? I have not seen the second one yet, but the first one. It came out a few years ago, and I really loved Black Panther. I thought it was an incredible film. And I got to go see it actually with some youth from our community a few years ago. But my favorite character in the movie, and a lot of people agreed with me, was a character named Killmonger. And I don't know if you remember this guy, but Killmonger had a very rough life. Um, he, his character experienced a great amount of pain and trauma throughout his life. Almost everything had been taken from him. His father had been killed. He had no one. And he just watched as society mistreated his people. And his mission was to take back from the people who had taken from him. And he killed a lot of people in the process. And many people have identified with this character, resonating with that anger, that desire to fight back. And it makes sense, right? Because if someone is taking good things from us, then our natural instinct is to want to take good things from them. 
to get revenge. They've taken everything from me, therefore I'm going to take everything from them. Before the Romans claimed control of that part of the world where the Jews were living, there was um, another dynasty before that called the Greek Seleucid dynasty. Now, these folks were not very good to the Jewish people, and they killed many Jewish people. They took so much from them. The Jews were obviously angry about this. This conflict reached a tipping point when the Greeks went into the temple, and they set up an altar to the god of Zeus, and then they sacrificed pigs on the altar in the temple. If you know much about the Jewish faith, you know that this would be an awful thing to do, right? To set up an idol to another god and then to sacrifice an unclean animal like that in the temple. This clearly angered some people. And and, and really it reached its tipping point. You're going to take my family? You're going to take my nation? You've taken my land and now you're going to take my religion from me? No, that's not going to happen. And so this family named the Maccabees had enough. And they were warriors. They were tough dudes, all right? Uh, their name is thought to have originated uh, from a word that meant the hammer because they, they were really just like intense, violent, tough people, right? They put down the hammer on folks. They were fierce in battle. And they led a revolt against the Greeks, and they straight up kicked them out of their land. They cleansed the temple, and they took control of their land for a brief period of time. When Simon Maccabee, the great warrior, returned to Jerusalem, he was praised as a Messiah, a deliverer of the people. People waved palm branches as a sign of victory. This is the kind of Messiah that many people were looking for, a warrior who would fight for their people. Now, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, taking the road from the Mount of Olives towards the eastern wall of the city, what did people do? They waved palm branches, essentially saying, Jesus, be our deliverer, our mighty warrior. Free us from the Romans. Take back what they have taken from us. Now, as the week progressed, it became clear that Jesus was not going to be a warrior that maybe some hoped he would be. By Friday, Jesus had been arrested, he had been tortured, and turned over to the Roman government. He was in a weak, vulnerable position, not the mighty warrior that perhaps many had hoped for. According to the Gospels, there was a custom in that part of the world where the Romans would release a Jewish prisoner once a year, and perhaps to kind of help keep the people happy. It was throwing them a bone, saying, hey, we'll release you a prisoner. You'll be happy with us. You'll try to keep some relative peace in our area. And Pilate, it says in the story, offered to release Jesus as part of that custom. And he asked, do you want me to release Jesus to you? And there was a crowd of people outside his fortress. We don't know who was in that crowd. Some argue it was a small group of people. Some think it was a larger group. But regardless... The story tells us that instead of releasing Jesus, they asked that Pilate release a man named Barabbas. Now, Barabbas uh, was a person who didn't mess around. He, He was a violent man. He was arrested for opposing the Roman government. He led a revolt, 
and he killed um, some Jewish collaborators in the process. He stole money to use for the resistance. Now, Barabbas probably reminded the Jews of their heroes of old, right? Perhaps Barabbas reminded them of the hammer. Barabbas' vision for Israel involved revenge and payback and violent retribution. He was going to lead by force. He was going to take back that oppressive taxation money. He was going to help restore wealth and prosperity and restore the Jewish kingdom. The people in the crowd chose that path of physical strength and military might. Can you blame them? Haven't we often chose the same thing throughout history too many times to count? Like I said, today is often celebrated as Palm Sunday. And it's usually a joyful day of waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. And it's easy to lose sight of the fact that Palm Sunday, that beginning of Jesus' last week, was not probably a very exciting day for Jesus. Luke tells us that when he approached the city, he wept over Jerusalem. And he said, if you had only knew, if you had only known what would bring you peace. It wasn't another hammer or a killmonger. Peace wouldn't come through taking. Jesus knew that peace would only come through giving. And so Jesus gave us the greatest gift one can give. He gave his life. He literally gave his breath and his blood and his body for the world. Think about when Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't go after his accusers. He didn't take a legion of angels with him to go take back his dignity from those soldiers who mocked him. He didn't show up to the Jewish high council and and brag about the fact that they couldn't kill him. No, he went and found his friends and he forgave them. And he commissioned them to go transform their communities through love. You know, all of us in this room have been wronged in some way. And some of you may have been wronged more than others. (laughs) People have taken things from us, taken our dignity. Some of us taken our wealth, our stuff, our innocence. People have hurt us. Institutions have left left us, let us down. Churches have wronged us. And we can get revenge. It's an option. We can try to take back what's been taken from us. We can allow that anger and bitterness to consume us. We can shut people out who but set us. But that cycle will likely just continue, just like it has for so long. Desmond Tutu, when he he was living, argued that there was no future. There's no future, he said, without forgiveness. Dr. King in the same vein, argued that hate is destructive and tears down, but love has the power to build and restore and redeem. Jesus reminds us over and over and over again that love is the answer. Dorothy Day simply said that love and more love is the solution. You know, we have a tendency in our world to divide. It's us versus them. I've seen these flags and I it's a military thing, I know, but it says, don't tread on me. You've probably seen these. They have, people have them out in our community. And it's this idea that, that I think is, is really not what Jesus is about. It's me versus you. Stay away from me, right? Don't, don't come in my way, and I won't come onto yours, right? Donald Trump recently said these words to his followers. He said, I am your warrior I am your justice, and for those of you who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. 
Our current president, Joe Biden, quoted the Bible a few years ago to justify sending troops to fight battles against our enemies. And then he said these words to those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this, we will not forgive, we will not forget, we will hunt you down and make you pay. We will defend our interest and our people with every measure at my command. We keep dividing and drawing lines and building walls and fighting for our own self-interest while Jesus is calling us to something radically different. If only they knew what would bring them peace. Putting ourselves first, isolating ourselves from others, and seeking vengeance just isn't working. And Jesus says that love and more love is the solution. Father Greg Boyle says that if love is the answer, community is the context, and tenderness is the methodology. And what he's saying is if love is the answer, and communities is where we're going to actually show it to one another, and the way we show it is through practicing tenderness with one another, treating each other with kindness and love and gentleness in the way we relate to each other. More hate more guns, more violence, more distance, it's not going to change things. But I believe love can. Love often doesn't seem practical. It sometimes seems incredibly out of touch with the real world. And it may seem very unrealistic. But that's the example Jesus gives us. And Scripture says that God used the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And so maybe we should pay attention to what Jesus is offering us here. Jesus gave himself for others, and he's called us to do the same. And perhaps if enough of us in our small little corner of the world begin to live this way, showing tenderness to each other in our community, then perhaps there won't be any more us versus them. It'll just be us. Mother Teresa said, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.